Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Isaiah 40, 1-11, and God's comfort for his people. Those who receive the message in the midst of despair are called to be the messengers of this comfort and joy. Let's hear today's message. Wasn't it? What an exciting morning in, in, in lots of different ways with the, the music, right? The bells already playing, the choir behind us, the, the organ, the people. Some of you are guests with us. We're so glad the, the strunks are back, excited about it. We, we've seen some people that, that we haven't seen since before COVID returned uh, to worship with us this morning. It's just a, a wonderful season with the decor all around us, all of that. I love Advent. It's a challenging season too, though. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, think about in this season, all of the voices that we hear, so many more than normal times of year, voices that come from beyond us. Think about all of the advertising and the marketing and the promotion calling out to us, buy me, buy me. You go to the store, you'll hear a voice this, year, this time of year, you won't hear any other time. Usually, ringing a bell next to a red kettle, he'll say, Merry Christmas, wink, wink, nod, nod, right? And you're, what are you supposed to do, right? Maybe you'll hear a voice from a family member, hey, uh, it's Christmas at your house or my house? And you might have been thinking, I didn't think we were spending it together at all this year, right? It's just all of these competing voices that come from beyond us. There's also voices that come from within. Voices that carry messages that can be hard to discern, whether it's right or wrong, something we ought to take hold of or forget about. For me, there was an example, you know, for those of you who don't know, we have four kids and they're growing up and it's getting a little easier in some ways, but... But boy, when they were little at this time of year, Christmas in the pastor's house is it's not easy. And so one year we, we decided we just can't do Christmas cards anymore. It just, it was about to break us. So we made the decision to stop doing Christmas cards and haven't done it since then. And every year since that point, when I gratefully receive Christmas cards from many of you, there's this voice within me that goes, Clint, you're a jerk. (laughs) You know, these voices, you have to like discern, is that right? Is it wrong? Is that true? Do I hold on to that? Do I let that go? Where does that come from? It's tough. Similarly, in the passage we just heard read, there are multiple voices. And they lift up some competing messages. Though this past passage or parts of it are, are familiar to our ears, if you really tried to understand it while it was read, you probably discovered, boy, what in the world is going on? That's because there are these different voices. And so this morning, I want to walk through it together, that we might see and discern the voices that we hear, consider the message that they bring, it, bring. which messages do we take hold of and which do we let go, that we might be encountered by God this morning and especially in this season. 
And so if you haven't already, would you open to Isaiah chapter 40? I know I ask you to do that every week, and I mean it every week. But this week especially, more than I normally do, we're going to go line by line through this chapter so that we can discern uh, who is speaking and, and what is being said. Isaiah chapter 40. As you turn there, allow me to pray. Lord God, I do ask that yours would be the voice that we hear by your spirit, through your word, as you use me. Uh, may my words be true to your own words, and where I might err, may they fall away. But allow us, Lord, to take hold of your good news, the gospel, especially in this season. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Before we take up this passage, let me set the context and make sure you are aware of who this man Isaiah is. Our congregation has been uh, working its way through God's story from the beginning in Genesis uh, ever since September. And so most weeks uh, we go chronologically, sometimes skipping hundreds of years, but always moving forward towards the future. One challenge this week is that there is an exception being made, that we're actually going to go backwards. Last week, we considered words from Jeremiah. Isaiah lived about 100, 150 years prior to Jeremiah. So we're going to back up just a bit. As has been the case with the prophets that we've been looking at over these past few weeks, Isaiah is given a message from God, or a couple, actually. The first message, like the other prophets, is hard. God holds up through his prophet to his people, the recognition that they have turned away from him. Though he has lovingly called to them over and over and over again, they have resisted, and so he is giving them over to uh, the ways that they have, they have sought to go. And so they announce hardship and exile and desolation and all of those things. But Isaiah is given not just that message, but a, a beautiful, hope-inspiring message that looks to the future of Israel and, maybe more than any other prophet, the future that is still before us. If you know the Bible at all, you might be aware that it is Isaiah who prophesies about this, this coming Messiah even as he prophesies about the consolation of Israel and their re return to Jerusalem. And so it is, uh, composers like Handel have used Isaiah as the, he composed the, the Messiah. Words from Isaiah chapter 9 or, or 40 that we're looking at here or 53 all find themselves in that work. And it's, in, it's incredible. Just as a little aside, you're going to hear Nick Kotman, I believe, sing a bit. No? Yeah? Maybe? I don't know. Right? I thought a little bit, comfort ye, uh, later on in the service. And you'll hear him more fully this Thursday if you want to come to the recital from Handel's Messiah. Well, that's Isaiah. What's the message he's holding out to us? What are, we here, what are we to hear from God's Spirit this morning? If we're going to grasp that, we've, we've got to recognize the, the unexpected message that Isaiah brings. And, 
And you can't recognize it as unexpected if you don't kind of grasp what's going on. Again, Isaiah is prophesying, looking into the future. God's given him a vision of the future where Jerusalem will be overthrown and carried off into exile. And these words that come at the beginning of chapter 40 envision God's people in that time, separated from their homeland, separated from their families, in absolute poverty. There could not have been a lower moment. And God, through Isaiah, speaks words to the people in that moment. Now, in order for us to grasp that, I'd like you to think for a moment about your own life. I'd like you to to recall a or the moment where you found yourself in greatest despair. Like it just couldn't get any lower for you. Maybe it was when you received the news from the doctor. Maybe it's when you lost that very special, most important person. Maybe it's when you were betrayed by a friend, lost a job, went through divorce. When your child says, I'm leaving forever, don't talk to me again. Do you have it? I mean, this isn't going to work if you don't remember a moment like that. I want you to think a little more. In that moment, what were you thinking? What were you tempted to believe about God? What was going through your mind and your heart? Certainly, they were questions like these, right? God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, do you care about me at all? God, are you you even good? Are you even there? Can you identify with those questions? Do you remember feeling them? Now, let's think again about what we learned about Israel over the last few months. They find themselves in this lowest point, in in the place of exile. Why are they there? Because they were disobedient, right? Because they had turned away from God. Even as they were feeling and thinking questions like, God, why have you abandoned me? The reality is, it wasn't God who abandoned them, but they abandoned God. And God gave them over to that. And while it's sometimes hard to grasp, Certainly difficult to admit the same is true with us. Sometimes we should be able to see it. Draw a straight line from our disobedience to the the consequences we're facing that have placed us in absolute despair. If you mistreat your spouse month after month after month, year after year after year, you ought not come to that moment when you're in divorce and go, God, why'd you allow this to happen? Right? And yet, still sometimes, we're not able or willing to admit that. There are other times where we face that darkest moment that are harder to understand. When cancer is the diagnosis, 
when we face a natural disaster, when there's this freak accident? What are we, what are we to think of those? Well, while they are harder to understand, if we know our faith and the testimony of the Scripture, we would recognize that those two are a result of sin in the world, of humanity's rebellion. It is not about God turning away from us, but we collectively have turned away from Him, and so we face all sorts of things that we don't understand. Though it feels like God has abandoned us in dark moments, the reality is that we are the ones who have turned astray. And so I want you to think, if that's true, what the expected message from God is. If God has been saying to his people over and over and over again, not just Israel, but you and me, hey, this is the way to go. This is the way to live. Here's how, you know, if he's been saying that over and over and over again, and then we find ourselves in a moment of despair, what, what, what might we expect God to say? I think to myself, if God were something like me, here's what I would expect. God might say, I told you so, right? Look what you did. How foolish. Wouldn't you expect that, right? No hands here, but you've acted that way too, right? When you've loved somebody and said, don't go this way, go that way. Do this. They didn't do it. There's a big part of you that at least thought, maybe even you said, what are you doing, you moron? <laughs> That's not what God says. That's not what God says. Look what God says. Till you grasp that, the power of this passage doesn't come. But if you grasp it, look what he says. In the midst of this despair of our own making, our God says, comfort, comfort says your God. Comfort means to to console. As you hear those words, comfort, comfort, you may remember your mother or grandmother, maybe a father or grandfather, though this seems to be a, a, a feminine gift more often than not. When you skin your knee and mom rushes out, she holds you in her arms and says, they're there, right? It's going to be okay. Comfort, comfort, now, now. There's this this sympathy and mercy and love that's offered. That's how this passage begins, and it's how it ends. Look, verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Gently to Jerusalem. Or verse 11, the last one we heard. Like a shepherd who takes a lamb in his arms and embraces it. Against his heart, so too is God with us. And what is the message? Comfort. It's going to be okay. I know you are in this low place. I know the world couldn't get darker. I know it seems like this hardship just comes and comes and comes. And there will be no end but no No, it's going to be okay. For the people of Jerusalem in exile, this true message of 70 years before they are then ushered by God's Spirit in miraculous ways back to Jerusalem 
We'll look at that next week as we look at Ezra. But also for us, in the midst of darkness and trial, in the ways that you brought to mind, ways that seem like they might never come to an end, the words of God saying, no, 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 trust me, it's going to be okay. There, there, now, now, comfort, comfort. Well, how? How? I mean, I appreciate when someone says, it's going to be okay, but there's a part of me that goes, yeah, how's that? Right? Is it because we figure out a way to escape all that 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 weighs heavily on us? As I was thinking about that question, this image came to mind. You remember, you've seen it over and over and over again when there is a hurricane announcement. Leave, this image comes 15 years ago from Houston, Hurricane Rita. Aren't you glad you live in Toledo when that happens, right? We've never had a hurricane announcement that I'm aware of where the person in authority says, get out now. Is that the picture of the solution, that we would would save ourselves, we would flee, we would escape? No, not at all. Not at all. But it's one I want you to keep in mind as we consider verses 3 through 5. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Again, still God speaking now through Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. What does he call? Well, it's this powerful poetic phrase. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Or said again, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The image is, while we are desperately trying to escape this danger that is bearing down on us, there is one who is not joining us on the highway fleeing, but instead he is going the complete opposite direction. He is coming to rescue and deliver. That this is our salvation. We're called, the prophet says, to look for him, to prepare to make straight, to do everything we can to to welcome him in. But there is also the acknowledgement that there are many things that we cannot do, for this is God's work and not ours. I mean, when's the last time you leveled a mountain, raised a valley, made the rough part smooth? Ah, this is God's work, even as we are called to prepare He makes this announcement of the coming Savior. It is an announcement by Isaiah to the people of Jerusalem, but again, not his alone. Maybe you recognize that there is another who would come hundreds of years later and speak these same words. He's a man who stood in a river. People flocked to him. He lived when Jesus did. And he would speak harshly and joyfully announcing the coming of the Messiah. Of course, I'm talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist would stand in the river Jordan, and the the leaders of Israel came to him and said, tell us, tell us by what authority you do this. Well, he took Isaiah's words, and he said this, John 1.23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
Do you see this word given to Isaiah is not just for God's people long ago. It was for God's people in the day of Jesus, and it's for us still today. Just as people heard John the Baptist's words and, and went into the river repenting of their sins, so too we are called to recognize our own desperate place and our need for salvation, to see Jesus. And, as we're instructed in verse 6, to cry out, to cry out for rescue, to cry out for help. I see some tears, and I'm grateful, for that's exactly where we need to be. That's what we've acknowledged the past couple of weeks, right? You, you can't take hold of a gift like a child unless you can recognize your own desperate need. That's what we talked about last week, and here it is again. So cry out. Are you crying out? All right, look, look at verse 6. Here's where it gets a little tricky. In the middle of verse 6, the, the voice or the speaker changes. As soon as I point it out to you, you'll acknowledge it and recognize it, not only as true on the page, but true in your own heart. A voice says, cry out. And then a cynical voice from the depths of despair responds and says, oh, yeah? What shall I cry? What's the use? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers, and the flowers fall. You've been there, right? That lowest place, someone says, you, you ought to pray about that, and you think in your spirit, what's the use? God hasn't listened to me anyways. And in fact, best I can tell, it's God's own movement, his own breath. That has caused all this that I'm enduring. You've been there. Those words then are uh, responded to by the truth. Verse 7 into 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. What are we supposed to do? Verse 8, another voice, yes, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. See, we, we know what life feels like, like grass and flowers, beautiful one day, terrible the next. You've been there, right? You were probably there this week. Tuesday was wonderful. All of a sudden, you woke up Wednesday grumpy. You don't even know why. And your experience, your feeling of life calls out to you and suggests you ought to use the way you feel, the way you experience life as the determinant for what is true. But God's word says no. You're here today, gone tomorrow, but it's God's word that endures forever. So allow God's word to speak into your life. Allow God's word to determine what is true. One of the great things about the book of Isaiah is that the New Testament writers take it up more than any other Old Testament book. And they use it to interpret their own experience and our experience. 
When they do so, it's really important that we look at it. For Think about it. We believe that all of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when we have a New Testament, Holy Spirit-inspired author interpreting an Old Testament passage, we can be pretty certain that they're getting it right, no matter what degree they may or may not have, right? So let's look at what Peter says. Uh, you could turn there, but to save us time, I put some passages in front of you. 1 Peter is a letter written by the apostle to the early church in the first century. A church that was facing great, great suffering because of what they believed. I'll show you where he quotes Isaiah in a moment, but to, to help you trace the argument, let me start with a few other passages in advance. Early on in the book, he lifts up the, the gospel. God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Is that not the gospel? Right? Would, would this not be an appropriate statement made about us as well? God made uh, first pres, God has given first pres new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Amen? Amen. Right, right. So we might be thinking, great, so life should be wonderful from here on out, right? <laughs> you might, you might. Some preachers will tell you that. But Peter will say, ah, no, here's the next one, verse 6, I believe, maybe. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. You rejoice in the gospel message, even though for a little while you may have had to suffer uh, grief. In all kinds of trial. What do you mean, what do you mean grief? I thought, I thought we were giving ourselves to the resurrection of the dead and the power that brings health and wealth and all of the No, 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 no. No, there is this confusing moment where we, the word says this. Jesus has been raised and you too, if your life is in him. But then you experience suffering and you begin to go, well, which is it? And what is going on? And how do I interpret everything? In my experience, he, he continues and he says, here's, here's the deal. You have been born again. If you have trusted Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, like Nicodemus in John 3, you have been born again. And this time, not with seed that is the seed of the grass and the flowers of the field here today and God tomorrow, but this time, imperishable seed. Through the living and enduring word of God. Regardless of your experience, regardless of what you feel. And that's when he then brings verse 24 and uses that to help them interpret their own experience as we also lay it upon our life as a lens to understand what we're going through. For all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Believe it. I think there's a bit of a wordplay here in, in Hebrew, so Gavin will be thrilled if, I, if indeed I get this right. Like the, the word for spirit, the word for um, breath, that God's breath knocks you over, it's the word ruah, right? And of course, breath or spirit is also what we need to speak the word. And so what he's, I think he's drawing to our mind is it feels like God has wiped us out. It's by his breath, but no, in fact, the complete opposite is true. It is by his word, by his breath, by his spirit that we have life. Think about 
creation at the beginning. Right? God said, and it came into being. Think about the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the, what? Word. Word. Think about what Jesus himself said. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Some of you are just going through it right now. And you're going through it maybe because you put yourself there. Maybe. And you think God is saying, shame, shame, shame. No, he's not. No, he's not. He says to you, comfort. Comfort. There, there. It's going to be okay. Not because of you. Not because of anything you do. But because of the one who has come to rescue. Trust yourself to him. Give yourself to him. Is that you? For some it is. I can see it on your face. For others it was. And it will be again. But maybe not in this moment. And so what do we do? do? Well the sermon could end here. But that would be way too early. Right? And the passage isn't done. And so we need to recognize one more important thing. And that is those who take hold of this message of comfort become the messenger in the economy of God. Some of you know Isaiah's story. It's given to us in Isaiah chapter 6. I'll paraphrase it, but you'll remember it. You could make a note, go read it yourself. Isaiah encounters God in this profound way, in some vision or dream. He comes face to face with the holiness of God. And being there before the holiness of God, Isaiah goes, oh, shoot. But he might have used a different word, right? Because he then goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe because of that word he just said. But more importantly, because of the way he's lived his life. God doesn't say, shame, shame. Instead, he sends this angelic creature, it's called a seraphim, to the altar where the sacrifice of atonement is made. And he takes this coal and he touches Isaiah's lips and he says, there, you're clean. But it doesn't end there. Then God says, hey, so, so who's going to share this message? This message that, that, that before the holiness of God, there is hope. There is grace. Who's going to share that message? And, and Isaiah goes, hey, I just experienced it. I took hold of the message. Let me become the messenger. Here I am. Send me. For some of you, that's your favorite hymn. I know it, right? That's Isaiah's story. And so that's what he's holding out here. That's why he writes in verse 9. Go back now. Verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. You're not shouting at the people. You're shouting to them. Because the the news is so good. You're finding this place and saying, I want to tell as many people as I can about this. 
It was Isaiah's job. Then it became John the Baptist's job. Guess whose job it is now? The preacher's job? No, not alone. It's ours to call out, shout out, sing out, whatever we have to do. Now, as we do, we be careful to take the message in the same way that Isaiah did. Because I don't know about you, in this, in this world today, it is tempting. We're living at a time in American history where, largely speaking, we have known the word, we have gone to church, we've had respect for God, and more and more and more, our neighbors, our friends, our communities, our own children are giving it up. And they're falling into places of despair as a result. And it is awful tempting to say what? See, I told you. I've been asking you for years, why'd you stop going to church? Now you get what you deserve. Is that what the passage calls us to? No. Because God didn't do that with you and me. Instead, God said, comfort, comfort. There, there. It'll be okay. As we lead people to Jesus. Friends, who needs to hear that in your life? Who needs to hear it? Think about it. I've learned from my own experience, and I think it's a testimony bore out in the scripture, that some people are ready to hear the word and some people are not. That's a broad brushstroke, but, but from my experience, those who are not are those whose lives, at least in their own sense of things, is going pretty well. And you can talk to your blue in the face about a Savior, and they go, Savior for what? I'm doing great. But there are others in your life who have hit the bottom, or they're getting pretty close. Who are they? Is it a coworker? Draw it to mind. Is it a neighbor? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Maybe God wants you to go to them. Comfort and comfort in Jesus. It's the perfect passage for Advent. You see the final two verses as they frame this time that we are in. This won't take long, but I think it's important we see them. In verse 10, We see the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. We've said that Advent is that season where where we remember Jesus' first coming so that we can expect his second. Which of the two Jesuses is pictured here? The second. Right? When Jesus returns, he comes in power. He will reward those expecting him and he will punish those who are continuing to rebel. Make no mistake, the scripture says at this moment every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself says in this moment, like The way a shepherd might separate the goats from the sheep, he will separate us on this day of judgment. 
Who will be the sheep, the ones that he embraces? Well, they're the people who have prepared a way in their heart. They've made a straight path. They've believed the word that was told to them and ordered their life by it. And you see the evidence in their life, Jesus says. Because they have embodied this message of mercy and comfort. They have fed the hungry. They have clothed the naked. And they've given themselves to tend the sick. Knowing this day of promised judgment awaits, we... In the shadow of Jesus' first coming, carry out his message. Gently, tenderly calling. Saying, see, verse 11, see the one who tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. After we have taken hold of the message ourselves, we become the messenger and point to Jesus. May God work through us to make it so. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do. We do find ourselves in the shadow of your first coming and in the anticipation of your second. We recognize your unexpected word of comfort to comfort for all of us. Lord, Thank you. We are undeserving, in awe of your grace and your love. Would you help us to take hold of that message daily? And in so doing, would you help us to hold it out to those who are in deep despair in our midst? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.